Hello. So today we're so happy to be speaking to Amelia Akani. Amelia works in the fashion industry and she also co-founded Flourish in Diversity, a social enterprise that supports people from minority backgrounds to access more opportunities in the fashion industry. And Flourish in Diversity actually recently launched a salaried summer training program to upskill school leavers from minority backgrounds in sustainable and ethical practice. So, Mill, thanks so much for joining Kate and I today. Hi, Mill. Hello. Thank you both for having me. Um, this is such a fantastic podcast you've started, and I'm really um, happy to be here. So, thank you very much. Thanks, Mill. So, we're really excited to speak with you to hear all about the amazing work you've been doing. Uh, and I guess we were really keen to speak with someone who's working full time and has managed to start up a passion project on the side. So, can you tell us a little bit about how this all began? Absolutely. The Flourish University team are Julia, Nishi and myself. Um, We came together through a shared passion to promote diversity and sustainability within the fashion industry. And together we we draw on over 30 years experience in both fashion and media. So the uh, Flourish concept was originated by Julia, my colleague. We worked together at Margaret Howe, which is a British fashion company. Julia's worked in the industry for over 20 years across fabrics and trim buying. And myself, I've worked in the industry for a lot less, um, around five to six years. Um, But we both work at Margaret Howe. And I think we both share the same kind of passions and values in both our work ethic and our everyday life. And so it was around May 2020, we were actually both on furlough during the pandemic. And we were talking quite kind of frankly and honestly after George Floyd's murder and kind of discussing the issues that um, the world was facing and kind of post-BLM movement. And Julia actually introduced me to this idea of Flourish University, of this concept that she had that she'd been thinking about for a while, about training and implementing change within the fashion industry. And I was immediately drawn to it for my own personal reasons of wanting to make change. And I've always kind of struggled with my position in the industry and what that future looks like for me. So I was immediately drawn to doing something different. I think also because I was on furlough, so I wasn't really doing anything and felt like this was the perfect thing for me. Then Nishi comes in it from a different angle. She currently works at Sky TV and she's worked in media broadcasting for over 30 years. But her, I guess, motivation is that she studied at LCF, which is London College of Fashion, in the 80s. And her dream was to be a fashion buyer. And she comes from um, a Southeast Asian background. And so when she graduated, she saw nobody that looked like her. Um, She couldn't access any jobs. And so then that dream of working in fashion subsequently died and she got into media. I think media has very similar barriers to access as the fashion industry. It's run on, you know, complete nepotism. So she also sees the challenges in her everyday work that we're trying to break down in the fashion industry. So I think they go kind of side and side. But then she also has the lived experience that she wants wants to change something. So that's kind of how the team got built back in yeah, back two years ago now, and it's been a wild ride ever since. It's so amazing. Like, just, there's so much in what you just said, and I think it's so perfect for our podcast because it's exactly what we're talking about, you know, just seeing seeing stuff that needs done and, and taking action and making a difference. And I guess before we dive into that, I'd really be interested, can you just kind of talk us through what Flourish does? Like, what, what are the kind of projects that you're working on and how does it work? Yeah, absolutely. So we are positioning ourselves as an alternative route into industry. 
So Flourish and Diversity is a part-time salaried fashion training program that aims to upskill school leavers from minority ethnic and low socioeconomic backgrounds. So our, our real aim is to support underrepresented talent who haven't had the access into fashion jobs, basically. I guess the bigger goal there that we're aiming to do long-term is to diversify decision-making roles because that's where we see the most the most change can really happen within a company, both within diversity and sustainability because those decision-making roles are really going to have the most effect on changing a company's sustainability angle from the higher kind of management roles down to junior roles. So again, we're, I guess, aiming to promote a cleaner and fairer industry. And in doing that, we want to educate these school leavers in the biggest skills gap that's currently kind of faced within the industry, which is sustainable and ethical practice. So, I mean, there's quite a lot in there. To kind of simplify it, we're running a four-week training program. So the first program will be running this summer. The goal is to then build a bigger social enterprise that has different kind of prongs off it. I mean, we'd love to have a kind of recruitment angle down the line, possibly a consultancy for industry as well. But at the moment, because we are only three people and we're doing this alongside our day jobs, we're focusing on this four-week training program that we've been building for the last two years. So the first program's running this August. We've got eight students, so an eight-student cohort of 18 to 21-year-olds who have completed a fashion A-level or equivalent. So again, we'd love to broaden it out at a later stage, but for now we wanted to tailor it to 18 to 21-year-olds who specifically have a passion or interest in working in the industry already. Mm -hmm. The four weeks will be part-time classroom-based learning, and again, they're salaried, so we're, we're paying them at London Living Wage. So that was a choice from our end to ensure that they didn't have to miss out on a summer job some of these young people might be supporting themselves, you know, coming from a low-income background. We don't know what their situations are. So we wanted to ensure that they're getting paid to do this training. Again, because they're going to be learning and responding to a industry brief, it's almost like putting your value in them and ensuring that their work is actually, that there's value on their work, therefore they're getting paid for it. I love that too, that you're not creating a barrier for them right off the bat before they can even get involved, which I think often, you know, that does happen. Exactly. So we want to ensure that anybody um, from any kind of situation feels that they can come and do this and learn. And they're exactly as you said, they, they have access to it because of because they can do it and, they, and they're getting paid. They don't have to choose something else. And then, yeah, just to finish off. So the four weeks is focused on sustainable and ethical practice. We're focusing on the product life cycle. And this will be supported by industry professionals who are inviting industry to come on board to deliver workshops and lectures. And then at the graduation of the program, so at the end of the program, it will be followed by a three-month paid placement within industry. So the main goal is that these young people then go on to work in industry to have experience. It might not be that they get on to their immediate full-time job in industry, but at least have from, from the program everything we've kind of taught them, they can action and, and see how it works because otherwise you can't really go anywhere if you don't have that immediate industry work experience. And is this your first cohort? Yeah, in the inception from 2020, our initial idea was to launch it in 2021, but we faced a lot of challenges. And again, also COVID happened, so we didn't really want to rush into it. So it's been two years building this, and I mean, we're still incredibly scared <laughs> to go, but August this year is our first one, so we're calling it our pilot. 
we really don't know how it's going to go, um, <laughs> but we're kind of hoping for the best, faking it till we make it. And um, and then I think there'll be probably a lot of changes and natural um, kind of progression from this year out. That's so exciting, Mill. And I think it's an amazing idea to start with this aspect of it. And as you said, there are so many opportunities for this project to grow and there's so many different directions that it can go in. So yeah, you can see how this goes and then you, this will also help inform how you grow it and how it all develops. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, yeah, the main goal would be for, I know for myself and I think for Julia as well, for us to do this full time. um, However, that would look like. So I think there's definitely different um, avenues we'd love to go down. I mean, immediately we're already talking about having our alumni, so our student alumni build this kind of network because I think that's a a huge other goal for it is to create this network for these diverse young people because they possibly don't have access to different people in industry or different people with their similar ambitions and passions that look like them. I think meeting the first eight students already, um, that's kind of what most of them have already said. They want to just build a network of people that look like them, sound like them, have the same kind of life experiences, but are all also interested in the same ambitions and, and industry. So to build this kind of network at the conclusion of the program and then to continue to help these young people strive to access jobs, help them, I guess we would continue this kind of mentoring angle to help them access jobs and then possibly have a jobs board, as I said before, would be incredible. So have companies come to us to look for diverse talent. And then later down the line, yeah, possibly have a consultancy within companies on how they can diversify and, and help them in that world as well. Sounds like um, you're using a lot of the part of the program is going to be including other stakeholders and other people that are supporting you guys. How did you go about sort of bringing them on board and engaging them, you know, sort of taking it from this great idea to actually making it happen? Yeah, it's been a massive challenge. <laughs> I think I can say that off the outset and I'm still I'm still finding it challenging now, even after two years of kind of cold calling emails, it doesn't get easier. We've just had to change our approach every time, basically. So from the beginning, our kind of method was to just build a really big uh, directory. So again, Julia working in the industry for over 20 years, she's got a lot of network. I've got I, less, I think, just because of how I've only been in the UK for four years. Still still a long time to build kind of connections, but not as long as um, 20. But then I think I've also got different uh, different kind of access into different industries just because of my community. So I think we built, the, the initial idea was to build a big directory, pull as many kind of emails and contacts as we can, and then go from there. Again, it's been two years for us to kind of fine tune our own ideas as well. So I think looking back when we were contacting industry two years ago we probably weren't clear enough or I mean we weren't clear enough on our idea I think and what what we wanted so realizing now you just yeah you just have to be incredibly clear on what you're asking someone because they're you know they're full-time everyone's busy they're doing their day job I think it was also um, remembering it was also lockdown and COVID when we were contacting people so people were a bit scared about what the future of the industry looks like, what their own jobs looks like. No one was really willing to say, yes, okay, we want to support an initiative and we can give you money or we can do this. No one really had the time to kind of allow that in a way. So those conversations that we had two years ago, most of them didn't really go anywhere. I think we at least introduced ourselves and we made ourselves known. But just thinking back now, I mean, 
you know, I won't name names, but I think we were talking to some brands and it just didn't go anywhere. So fast forward to this year, or should I say 2021, when we kind of had our idea more fine-tuned, we knew what we wanted to ask people. Our procedure was basically just pitching. So we just had different ways to support. So some companies, bigger bigger brands, we've asked for uh, funding. So we kind of positioned that as like sponsoring a young person through the program. Then we also asked for participation in terms of delivery, so delivering lectures or workshops. And then we asked for other things like coming and helping um, volunteer on the workshop, so helping to be a figure just to kind of, how to be worded, sorry, like an industry professional, just to be there, be representing your background and be representing your career that they can ask and kind of ask questions to. And then I think the like kind of different ways to support um, for a smaller company would be, again, building a lecture or a workshop or coming on as kind of a mentor, or we were, we were open to hearing how they would want to support in different ways that they could. So again, it's been kind of long conversations with brands all online. I think it's both been both a blessing and a kind of hindrance, it being this kind of post-COVID teams world, because I think it's been easier to access companies and set up team calls rather than having to physically go to offices. But then I think that's also can have almost a negative effect because I think it's people kind of have this, not necessarily like lazy attitude, but I don't know, it doesn't really have the same effect as if you're going into an office. It doesn't have the same impact. I think you can have a 15 minute Teams call and then it's, it, it can never go anywhere or it's not really, you know, it's not really sweat off their back because they've just, they've only wasted 15 minutes. Rather, if we go face to face to an office, which we have been doing recently, it, it has this kind of more, it has this importance. So I think it would be interesting to know how we possibly would have built these relationships differently um, in a pre-COVID world. But that's not to say, I mean, we've got to the space we are now. I think we've got about eight or nine industry brands and professionals on board. So we are in a really good space right now and we're still trying to broker relationships for brand placement. So that's still a thing that I'm doing every day, just sending emails out. But yeah, it's been a challenge and I think we're just learning how to do it differently every day, how to word things differently and how to access the brand differently every day. Learning as you go along. Mills, I'm interested to know a bit more about your personal journey um, throughout all of this. Uh, So obviously during lockdown, that was a hard time in itself. And then as you've, you know, touched on some of the challenges that you encountered along the way. And also since lockdown, you were working full time um, in a really busy job and you're doing this on the side. Can you tell us a bit more about how you managed to stay motivated and what tools did you use to, to keep you going? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think I said it before about kind of faking it to make it. I think that's definitely my, my, (laughs) my ethos. Um, It's been, it's been a challenge. I think personally, I'm, I am very used to being busy, both just in my everyday career, but also just my kind of life. I, I just thrive off being busy you know, I always say in a job interview, like the classic case of like, I work better being stressed. And I feel like that's probably not a good thing, but it is the way I the way I work. I don't like being bored. I don't like twiddling my thumbs. So I think I was already kind of open for a challenge. Again, I said it was, I was on furlough, so I wasn't working. 
I was bored. <laughs> I didn't know what my future would look like. I, I mean, I have a really incredible job and I, you know, I thank them for my kind of job security, but I didn't know what that was going to be like. So I was definitely ready for a challenge. Again, kind of coming on board Flourish University was motivated more by my personal experience as well and just wanting to make a change within the industry because I always questioned my position. Even though it hadn't been long, I was always questioning what I was doing working in an industry that was you know, and, and is the second, second biggest polluter to the world in, in terms of sustainability and fashion waste. And then also being, you know, one of the only women of colour in my company and also having those lived experiences within university and having to kind of jump hoops. And, you know, again, I can go into that um, in more detail, but I think joining Flourish University was, was sparked by kind of an intense motivation and passion. So I think that is what pushed me through the kind of initial stages of juggling a job and a passion project I think that's what you know that's what we could call it at the beginning now it is much more than that now it is my second job so it's been kind of a wild ride trying to I guess break that apart and kind of as you said juggle it I guess the day-to-day for me looks like um, a lot of lists I'm quite obsessed with notes and lists I'm not sure if Jules has been privy to seeing my crazy notes page but that's I am a crazy note lady yeah and that's basically how I manage my time so I you know from 10 to 6 p.m I'm doing my full-time job now I'm also in physically in the studio and office more which kind of again does make it a little bit harder because you're cutting out like commuting time and those kind of extra time that I'd have working from home but I just make a lot of lists of what I have to do and to separate my time so it might be at lunchtime I'm doing sending up a few emails for Flourish University when I can or it's usually after work and I think a, a thing I've learned is just not and I mean I'm still learning this and it hasn't come easy but not being so hard on myself in terms of motivation because there were definitely times when I lost it. There were definitely times when I wanted to come home and just do nothing. Now, I before, I probably wouldn't allow myself that time. I'd force myself to push through it because, again, I don't really like working on the weekends and I was struggling to set myself tasks on the weekends. So I was finding that I'd really just have to push through and work weeknights because then I really wanted to switch off come Saturday and Sunday. Now I'm just letting myself kind of listen to my body and my mind and work through it more naturally because I'm finding that I can't, you can't force it. Like you can't force productivity. So if I get home from work at 7 p.m. and my brain's just not wanting to kind of switch on or keep, or keep staying on, I don't force it. I just let myself go to the next day, give myself the time the next night, or I, I now am kind of open to working on the weekend more and, and giving myself that break during the week. So yeah, I think for me, it's just it's been kind of listening to my own body and, and working out what my own methods are, which I'm still learning. It's so great to hear the, the theme of self-care and actually listening to your body. It's absolutely a theme that we've heard through the interviews that we've done to date, that when you're operating in this space, um, especially, I guess, if you've got two jobs, it, it's really important to look after yourself. So I'm so glad to hear that that's something that you're working on. Yeah, absolutely. And like, again, I say, yeah, I'm definitely working on it. I don't think I'm doing it to the be- <laughs> to the um, to the best it could be right now, but it's definitely better. Like I've gone through the stages of knowing and, and the three of us, me, Julia and Ishi, talk about it all the time. We've got such a supportive group within us that we are really pioneering that. I think we're so lucky and beneficial to have that support within each other and know know each other so well and know each other's work ethic so well as well that I think each of us can kind of 
tell each other, you know, no, you've got to take a break. You're pushing yourself too hard. Um, and so I think from early on, we kind of set those boundaries in terms of being like, I, I kind of said, and I mean, this has changed again. This has changed naturally. It's, it's um, progressed. But I said I didn't really work well at night. And so, and Julia, whereas Julia does. And so I said, okay, well, just FYI, like maybe don't message me in the evenings because I probably won't be working. And then I might not look at them till the next day. So we kind of, I mean, naturally, I'm just saying this now, it's definitely, <laughs> that's not how it stayed. But it's just good to kind of establish those boundaries within a team from the get-go. So to know that, okay, I'm not going to be up until midnight working so Julia knows not to message me. And those kind of things um, I think are really beneficial and have really helped us work together as a team. But, yeah, I think self-care is so important because otherwise you're just going to burn yourself into the ground. And, I mean, we've all individually had had burnouts over over these two years. And I think there's kind of nothing worse than burning out and then trying to build back up from there. Whereas if you just allow the kind of motivation to, to dip and just stop, and, you know, give yourself a week off or maybe it's a week, maybe it's two weeks. Allow that natural thing to happen without the burnout. It's so much easier to start back up again. The kind of natural motivation comes back quite easily. But I think forcing yourself to come back after hitting that burnout point, which can be really bad, you know, you could end up out of it for like a longer time, months, two months to kind of build yourself back up. So we're definitely trying to avoid that <laughs> when it's um, when there's just so much to do and there's so little time. Um, and Kate, somehow amongst all of this, uh, Mill managed to train and run a half marathon. Oh, nice. That's very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're making me sound very good, Jules. You're amazing. Do you, do you ever experience fear? Yes and no. Yeah, I think fear of failure is an interesting one because I think – for me, definitely in this program, I'm not, I don't know how to word it. It's not necessarily, I think, I think for me, yeah, it is fear of failure. You're right. But it's more about now, I think because we have these young people that almost it's like their lives in our hands, I guess it's fear of what it will look like for them if we fail and how, how that will kind of affect them. I, I'm not really caring about myself failing. But I guess it is, it is myself failing because if the program fails, it's on us, but it's also now on other people. But I don't, but not necessarily, like, I think that that kind of idea comes into my head, like only, you know, once in a blue moon, I'm, I'm quite confident in, in what we've built and confident in myself and my abilities. So I think I just push through and just don't try to let those negative thoughts come through. But there have definitely been times when I pulled Julia aside and said like, oh my gosh, are we actually going to do this? Or can we actually pull this off? I think there was a point where we didn't really have any money. And I was like, how are we going to do this? Like, I, I can't fund this myself. None of us can fund this ourselves. But I think knowing from, from the first year, and I guess maybe some people might have said we were failing. I don't think we were. We were still building it. When we had that discussion to postpone it, I think that was the best thing we've ever done. And again, some people could say, okay, that's when we had this fear that we weren't going to be able to pull it off. So we gave ourselves and we allowed ourselves another year to do it properly. And I think that's the best thing we've ever done because if we'd, if we'd pushed through to do that, I don't think we would have been able to succeed in, in the right way. And we would have just been doing it because we set ourselves a stupid goal to do it, a stupid kind of timeline. And we probably would have failed, to be honest. So I think we've learned so much in that just listening to ourselves and pushing those timelines and allowing ourselves more time to kind of build the confidence within ourselves and within the program to actually do it properly. 
So I think that's probably why we are so, why I am so confident in where we're at right now is because we gave ourselves the time, the time to do it. Brilliant. So good. So important. Um, So Millie, you've touched a bit on um, some of the challenges along the way. What would you say was your biggest challenge in all of this that you had to work through? Biggest is quite hard. I think, again, just to reiterate, probably access to industry. So it's been quite hard to know where to go, I think. So the three the three main things that we really needed to successfully do this program was money. <laughs> so funding was industry professionals to come on board and help us deliver this kind of curriculum. Because, yeah, again, we, we've built this curriculum, this structure from just our own knowledge or kind of understanding of the industry and how we wanted it to work. But Julia and myself have no educational background. We have had the support of this incredible lecturer, Dom, who works at UAL. And we have had the support of her in terms of like a consultancy, just ensuring that we're you know doing it properly and we're building it in the right way so students can understand it. But still, we don't know if it's going to if it's going to work and make sense. So again, we wanted industry help in that way to ensure that we're, you know, each kind of workshop and lecture is actually relatable to industry and it's actually going to impart some sort of knowledge that they can take away that's it's not just um, university teaching out, that's not actually going to be ta- tangible for them to take away um, into industry and into workplace. And then the third thing has been um, we want to have paid placements at the end of this program that they go into so they were kind of the main three pillars that we've been trying to build on and work on for the last year the funding one has been a challenge <laughs> because we didn't really know where to go so again when I said we were asking different companies for different things we've been asking them for money as well and it hasn't really come from there so that the getting money out of industry hasn't happened so we had to go down other avenues we were really lucky and grateful to get to be successful in a grant so we got a grant from Westfield, Stratford. So that's been really helpful. And we also ran a crowdfunder last year and so um, had the support of mainly our family and friends, which is, you know, really incredibly humbling and eye-opening to get their support. And so that's basically how we've built our, our money pot now. So that was a really big challenge, knowing where to go for that funding. But then again, it kind of all falls back on this access to industry. So I think finding the right emails, knowing we're emailing the right people, getting responses, not being kind of disheartened. I mean, we were disheartened by not getting responses, continuing to hound these people. You kind of got to get rid of that, <laughs> like, not, not pride, but like just, it's, it's an ego thing, actually, I think. You've got, to get, you've got to kind of lower your ego because, I mean, you're annoying. You're annoying people. <laughs> you've got to be willing to annoy people and not get kind of, worked up or kind of hurt by the hurt by the lack of responses or the all the crappy responses because they come the crappy responses come or as I said before you you have these team meetings and and for us to put in the diary like a 40 minute team meeting while we're trying to navigate a full-time job and stuff is really hard it's really difficult so for us it's really important but for someone on the other side it's possibly not as important and so after a team meeting you get no response you know it, it starts to kind of wear down but again, we just have to build ourselves back up, push through, continue on, select possibly a new brand to go to or a different angle. And, you know, again, we're, we're continuing to do so. I was just going to say, Mill, during those times, it's, it must be so important to just maintain that confidence in your idea and remind yourselves that you know what you're doing, that you have this amazing idea to not let you get put down but when you know you don't get a response from people to not let that put you down 
tenacity is the word that I would use to describe what I'm hearing, Mill. It just sounds amazing that, you know, that you just refuse to have been beaten or, or stopped. So earlier on, you touched on the deep personal experience that you've had. And I think if you don't mind us asking, as two white women that are overrepresented in the industry, can you share a little bit with us about what that experience is like? My initial motivation to be part of this initiative and be part of the change within the industry has stemmed from my experience firsthand, but it's also stemmed from the experience I had growing up, which so many do not have the privilege of experiencing and are the barriers to accessing industry currently for young people from low-income backgrounds and from non-white backgrounds. So for me, I was incredibly privileged to have two supportive parents that have really pushed me and allowed me to follow any kind of dream or interest I wanted from a very young age. I was also privileged enough to go to university and be able to afford that, especially when fashion design or any creative industry is incredibly expensive, not only just university fees, but everything that comes with that. So you think about all the things you have to purchase for university. You know, it's quite, it's, it's really hard to access grants or anything like that. So again, that's another barrier, but I was able to do that. I was also living at home, which allowed me to save money to move overseas and intern for free. So commonly known, again, in a lot, lots of creative industries, but mostly fashion, there's this ridiculous uh, kind of hoop jumping and almost rite of passage that you have had to work for free. And that is, that, that's completely insane um, that it's still happening. But again, it's another barrier for people that come from a background that can't afford it. They need to work and doing an unpaid internship for six months is really, really hard for some people. But again, that's how you, how you have to hoop jump to get another job. So I've been, I was able to do all those things. But once entering the industry, you realise that there's not many people that look like me, not many people in the companies yeah, that look like me. The support's not really there. Again, I've had an upbringing where I have been around and working with white people my whole life, but a young black woman that comes from a different background that might not be privy to that will, you know, will struggle, will struggle in that work environment if the support's not there, if it's all new and flashy and it can be really, really hard. So again, all of those things have really stemmed to why or really driven me to why I want to be part of this and create that change because that process, that kind of pathway into industry shouldn't shouldn't be the case for the, for anybody anymore. It needs to be different. Yeah, thanks for sharing that, Mill. You're right, just when you think about it, this barrier created by having to intern in so many industries and it's just expected, it is. it just creates such a barrier and really encourages this inequality. It's just so unfair. Exactly. And like, I mean, when we, when we were initially kind of creating this program, we highlighted that there's five barriers. I mean, there's definitely more, but that are going to stop or enable these young diverse people from getting in and they are like a lack of representation in leadership roles so if you look up a company and don't see anybody that looks like you you know if you go on LinkedIn and look at the photos and you don't see anyone that looks like you or know anybody that works in that company that looks like you you're not really going to apply or you might be you might be withheld just knowing immediately that you're not going to get a job there as I already said the unpaid work experience which excludes so many people and then allows them to not career progress 
a lack of diverse role models as well can be can be a real barrier for young people. The use of exclusive recruitment framework, which is a whole other kind of angle. But again, when people aren't assessed fairly, when going to that interview process or going through that stage, that's another barrier. And then, as I kind of touched on before, when a young diverse person or any diverse person is in that workspace, there's a lack of legislation around safeguarding in the workplace, around unconscious bias and anti-racist policies. So they might make it into the job, but they might not want to stay there because it could be a really, really horrible experience for them. So they're the kind of five that we acknowledge and that we're trying to change with this program and moving forward with the industry. Amazing. Thank you. For me, Flourish and Diversity, what I find just absolutely, I mean, there are so many different elements that are incredible, but the fact that it is a salaried, you know, it seems like such so obvious that it should be, but I've just never heard of that before. So it's really incredible that you have actually made that happen and done all this hard work to get the funding to make that possible. Cool. And so can you tell us a bit more about, um, so what's next for Flourish? What's next? Well, so at the moment, I think I mentioned before, we are trying to get some brand uh, placements in place for the graduates. So that's really my hustle at the moment, out on the emails and um, really just getting the word out there to see if um, what companies are offering internships and if they'd be interested in funneling or recruiting our graduates for those roles. Um, We've also met the eight young people, the cohort already, which is really exciting all come from very different backgrounds, very different experiences. It's going to be an epic kind of group for them to create and have this little community. So there's just a bit bit more of onboarding we need to do for that. And then it's just all the small things, kind of starting to get everything ready for launch on the 1st of August. So yeah, it's um it's coming up very quickly, but we are we're super excited. Um, the space that we're holding it at is the London Screen Academy in Islington, which is an incredible space, and we're very lucky to have have it offered to us for free as well. They've been incredible, and so yeah, we're just getting there, getting used to the space, getting used to kind of what the activities will run and workshops, and really just tying up those loose ends. And hopefully, one day it's something that you can bring to Australia as well. I know, I know that would be their biggest goal. We've actually, we're speaking to um, a group in Australia, they're called Melbourne Fashion Hub and they do something similar. They don't, they don't run the program, but they came across us and they create a platform to showcase diverse and emerging designers. And so we've, um, we've kind of got a conversation with them. So yeah, who knows? It would be amazing if we could do some sort of collaboration or in a few years time, run the program in Australia and the wider world, because we're very, very keen to take it global. One of the things that I wanted to ask you, this podcast is called So You Want to Make a Difference and part of it is exploring the amazing ways people like yourself are making a difference and part of it is having a conversation for those that are wanting to make a difference but maybe haven't taken any action or are uh, stuck in inaction. I've got two questions for you. First one, was there ever a time that you found yourself in that position where you were sort of sitting on the fence, you knew that there was something there that you wanted to do but you hadn't yet taken any action or have you always just been out there? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, no, I think there definitely was a time. I think for me with this program that's really important is the fact that it's about diversity but also about sustainability and they go hand in hand. And for me, I need to put my hand up. Like I've been very slow off the mark in terms of being green conscious and being climate aware. 
and educating myself in that area. So I think for me, this program was definitely kind of the stepping stone for me to become better at that and know that I'm doing better, not only with what I'm aiming to do in the industry, but as an individual. But yeah, no, so there was definitely times where I was like, what what could I be doing? What should I be doing? I think I just started writing things down as well, like just writing little notes, always kind of making little action plans, but possibly never doing them. And then it's also, it's also a really beautiful thing to go back and find that notebook and be like, oh, okay, I've kind of, I kind of did that like tick. But again, I was fortunate because I didn't come up with this idea. This was Julia's idea and she came to me. So I was I was lucky in that regard that I was kind of approached or involved in that way. I think it is incredibly hard to come up with ideas yourself and launch them yourself. It's never a one-person show. I mean, kudos to anybody that can do it on their own because it's really, really hard. So I would just, I mean, if if you want some advice, I would just say start having those conversations with your community, with people around you, with people that, you know, have similar values as you and, you know, might be open to doing something. And it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be big in any any regard. And also it takes time. As I said before, this has taken two years. So, and it could take longer. You know, this year we're not going to get it right. It's our first year. Um, it might be five, 10 years until we can nail it. So, I think you've just got to be honest and kind of kind to yourself when you are wanting to do something and just start small. I'm still learning and still certainly not, don't want to preach that I'm doing everything right because I'm certainly not. So um, yeah, I definitely think, yeah, you've got to be kind to yourself. Mm. I love that. That was my second question. Have you got any advice from anyone? Uh, And I love that. I think, you know, it doesn't have to be big and you can start small and, and really hang out find your community, find your people that are doing stuff that you're interested in. I think it's such great advice. Thank you. Yeah. I was just about to say this idea of community is so integral um, to this idea of making a difference, finding people that are like-minded. You know, it's like when you're trying to, I don't know, go to the gym and get healthy. It's so much easier when you have a friend to meet you there and encourage you. Um, it's like that with make same thing with making a difference. If you're living with people that are, you know, environmentally conscious, it makes it so much easier to hold each other accountable and it motivates you and inspires you. Yeah, absolutely. And like the people around you, you learn so much from your friends and your family and and your colleagues and people around you. So I've learned so much in this process. Like I did not have all this knowledge. You know, you learn, you read, you absorb. Someone might give you a podcast to listen to. Someone might give you an article, a reference, yeah, you can't really be shelled up on your own just like in your laptop or something. You need to be having these conversations because there's so many references and resources out there that it would be impossible to find them all on your own. So again, I think it really is important to have those conversations and those ideas will spark from there. And I've already had conversations with people and, you know, I I told them about what we're doing and they're interested in doing something like this in their industry or they say, oh, there's nothing like this in the food industry or the advertising industry. Maybe we could collaborate or we could kind of use this model and do it somewhere else like you've got I I don't know it's it's I think it's really important to inspire those around you because that's what's going to lead to greater and bigger things it's the ripple effect yeah exactly and Mill so it'd be great if we could give our listeners um some sort of tips to take away from this amazing conversation first of all do you have any tips for people who are working full-time and want to start a project on the side how to really juggle that and manage their time to be able to make that work? 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm still certainly learning, so maybe don't take my tips as gospel. But um, Besides your lists, your many lists. <laughs> yes, exactly. My lists, 100% do that, but do that in whatever way that works for you. I know some people like making like little voice memos. Some people have physical notes. But for me, definitely write things down because it's impossible to remember when you are having to switch your brain to your full-time job and your passion project or whatever you want to call it. Ensure that you are taking time, as we said before, for self-care and me time because that's so important. You can't be burning the candle at both ends. Another thing I think is kind of reiterating what I said before, have the conversations and have time with other people. So, you know, putting in a lunch date or a drink date with a friend to talk your idea out can be so beneficial rather than just sitting at home on your laptop or kind of trying to make it work because you don't really understand that can unintentionally spring more ideas or give you more kind of creativity in that way. So taking the time to read a book or grab lunch or watch a film, you never know what could kind of come out of that. And take it day by day, I think. Don't feel guilty if you can't get get it right at the beginning or you do, your ideas don't come or your motivation is lagging because for me that's certainly happened and, and I can speak for the three of us in um, the Flourish and Diversity team, it's happened. You go through waves, so definitely take it day by day and if you need to take a few weeks off from that just to focus, you know, if your day job gets incredibly busy, you've got to focus on that. So don't feel guilty or don't have that kind of like self not self-hate, but you know what I mean? Yeah, guilt at the end of the day. Don't feel guilty with yourself if you can't keep it up all the time. So if anyone would like to support you or get involved or learn more about what you're doing, Neil, are there any resources or information or ways that that, that can happen? Yeah, absolutely. So we have our website, which is um, flourishuniversity.com. We've also got a LinkedIn page and an Instagram where we're posting a little bit more regularly about our process. Um, And we've still got a GoFundMe Live that we've had last year. So if anyone does want to support and donate, um, you can access that through our website and that money will be used for the program, for the kind of operational costs, to pay the salaries of the young people and to ensure that we can really just run it um, to the best of our ability. So at the moment we are there and we have the funding but I mean, we always want more. So yeah, if anyone was willing to donate or just read more about the program, um, you can head to those places. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mill. It's been amazing to speak with you and to just learn more about Flourish and Diversity. It's just such an incredible project. And yeah, you should be very, very proud of yourself for making it happen. Thank you. And I want to thank you both for doing this because again, as I said, this is just a small element of creating these conversations so what you two doing what you're both doing is um, incredible because we can hear about all these different projects and programs and get inspired so well done thank you and yeah and thanks for me and congratulations it's just amazing and I love hearing hearing what the next generation are doing to um, change the world it's great thank you so much for your time we've loved chatting to you thank you both bye That was so great chatting to Mill, uh, Kate. I really, really enjoyed that conversation. So I have a few takeaways ready Mm -hmm. that I got out of it. I mean, there were so many things to choose from. But I guess one thing that I really loved was just this idea of community and how meeting people that are aligned with your values can really inspire you. I mean, Mill Uh, made it clear that this flourish in diversity wasn't her initial idea but it just made so much sense uh, when she spoke to her friend about it 
who she co-founded it with and that um, that this person just really inspired her. I agree. I think that's a definite theme that we've seen around hanging out with people that are doing stuff that you're interested in and, and you know, being with other people that have similar passion to you can really lead to making a difference. I loved that. Yeah. And the importance of having conversations, just speaking to people about your values, about what you're passionate about, and then that helps you really connect with people on in um, on those themes. Yeah, yep, totally. One of the things that I really loved, I mean, I agree with what you said before, Mill's just an amazing uh, role model. I really enjoyed, though, how she shared that they were sort of learning as they went along and that they didn't sort of have to have all the answers. They could just keep trying and they could you know they they made mistakes and and that was just part of the process and I think it's a recovering perfectionist um it's really great to see that that is part of the process and that we don't always have to have all the answers before uh we take action I really love that yeah I agree I agree that was actually one of mine as well just you figure it out as you go along and you can't let it stop you from from starting yeah she absolutely acknowledged that there were so many challenges so many things that she had to figure out as she went but you just find those solutions along the way and again she mentioned how she really reached out to to the people around her to kind of find um, different ways to deal with that and the whole idea on that vein of don't be afraid to postpone or reset or change your expectations if things aren't working out or you've taken on too much you don't have to stay with your commitment you can you can realign if you need to I I really love that yeah yeah I agree and then I thought this idea of privilege was really interesting I'm glad she brought that up I think that it's something that we definitely need to be aware of and it's something that really kind of stuck in my mind that privilege can really help us in our abilities to make a difference and it should really motivate us as well and we it's something that we need really need to keep in mind when we're approaching these different issues and so I was really I thought it was I really admired how she was very upfront about that and she really used that as a something to drive her to make a difference yeah I love too how honest she was about oh the self-insight that she had around even the privilege that she has had growing up and I think it is absolutely something that people are talking a lot about now that I'm only really beginning to appreciate and understand and you know I think one of the things about privilege that is so challenging is that when you're in a position of privilege you don't even know that you're in a position of privilege if if you don't go outside your comfort zone and explore it and talk about it and read about it so I really appreciated Mill opening my eyes to that a little bit more and and helping me on that on that journey too yeah and just remembering the a lot of barriers that people face um you know it's easy to be passionate about something but you can face so many barriers and there's a difference between these certain barriers and you know the challenges that you may face um you know you might it might be like a challenge you might face when you're trying to start an idea might have nothing to do with a real barrier that other people are facing um that can just block them so I agree with that 100% because I love the internship that they're or the traineeship that they've created is paid because that is a massive barrier to people that um, need to be working 
full time or, or at least getting some incoming in and that not you know they don't have the luxury of taking six weeks off um, without an income to work in a space that they love and, and I really I really loved that you know that aspect and that they had really understood the challenges facing the people that they were trying to help it was great it was really good yeah the other thing that I had is just the same one that keeps coming up time and time again is the self-care theme um, and Neil talked about it I think around really set, establishing boundaries and, and it was like she was really just setting boundaries for herself and I think it's really important to remember that that when you're doing something on the side to understand that you do have to look after yourself and that we only have a finite amount of energy to see us through and I, and I really liked um, how she was very focused on attempting to set those boundaries for herself even though she's a massive go-getter. I thought that was really great. It's a good reminder. Yeah, absolutely agreed. And it was just so great speaking with someone who is doing a project on the side and this lovely idea that, you know, sometimes in so many cases you can't just start off making this your full-time job and making this your life, but if you start off small and let the idea grow and you learn as you go along, it can become so much more she there is so much that she's looking to do in the future as well and there are so many directions that this can go in and yeah it's really exciting to think about that and at the moment it's just that balancing act that she's really has managed to to do well i think that i think that's right i think it's really cool to talk to someone at the beginning still still relatively at the beginning of their journey you know you sometimes talk to these people um, who've been doing it for a long time and it is you know they've created something really sort of amazing and big and solid but to kind of have a window into the journey at the beginning when they, you know, still um, not sure how it's going to go and they're still trying to find funding and there's a whole range of challenges that they're still overcoming just makes you um, see that the process isn't isn't sort of perfect, uh, you know, and it's not, it's sometimes can be two steps forward, one step back and that's the journey and that's okay. It was, it was really great. Thanks, Mel. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks, Kate. Um, I think that's it. <laughs> thanks for introducing me to us all, Jules. It was a really great conversation. Thanks, Kate. Yeah, I loved it. And I'll speak to you soon.